Welcome to Leading from Behind, a podcast series about the practice of solution-focused therapy, produced by the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I'm Barry McClatchy, and this is episode number 15, What's Better in Follow-Up Sessions? Well, thanks once again for joining me here on Leading from Behind. In this episode, we'll be taking a closer look at the questions and skills used in follow-up sessions as we explore improvements in the client's circumstances since the first or any previous session. Now, as we did during our exploration of first sessions, we'll examine these questions and skills by listening to some of the conversation from our ongoing case example. Now, in the concluding resource section of the podcast, I'll highlight two more books about solution-focused practice. One relates to working with children and adolescents, while the other is more general in nature. So, once again, welcome to Leading From Behind, episode number 15. I hope you'll find it useful in developing your skills in solution-focused practice. As mentioned in our introduction to follow-up sessions in the previous episode, any future client contact typically begins with a very simple question. What's better? So in this episode, we're going to look solely at the conversations that typically take place as the client responds to this question. Now, this question, what's better, is a fundamental part of solution-focused practice. It reflects our strong belief that change is constant and inevitable in our clients' lives. Now, if you're new to solution-focused practice, you might be worried that many of your clients will respond to this question with the dreaded nothing. But in practice, you'll soon discover that a good majority of clients will have responses to this question, even in cases where overall things might be the same or perhaps even worse since the previous session. It's important then for the solution-focused practice to build skill in being able to elicit, amplify, and reinforce the client's various responses to this question. It's also important to recognize that in asking what's better, we also need to utilize many of the same skills used in eliciting the client's ideas about her or his preferred future. So, for example, we often need to ask follow-up questions that enable clients to provide behavioral detail about a positive change or improvement. As well, we'll ask other follow-up questions that invite the client to say out loud how such behavior has helped or made a difference. We'll also use indirect compliments, sometimes in the form of a question like, how did you manage to do that? Or how did you know that that was the right thing for you to do? And finally, when clients describe how others did something or an external event occurred that led to an improvement, we'll want to invite our clients to consider what they did in response that may also have contributed to the improvement. Most of all, though, we want to adopt a position of curiosity and not knowing so that our questions about what's better invite clients to hear the sound of their own voices. Now, to facilitate our look at this part of the follow-up session, we're going to return to our case example from previous episodes. Keep in mind, of course, that this is just a role-play example for the purposes of demonstrating the questions and skills we use in shining a light on what's better for the client. So we're certainly not suggesting that in solution-focused therapy, our clients always return to tell us about all of the wonderful changes that have occurred since the first session. Although I should add that there are definitely times when this, in fact, does happen. So keep in mind that in the episode following this one, we'll certainly be looking at other variations of the follow-up session where the client may report setbacks or where no discernible change has taken place. 
So without further ado, let's take a look at our conversation with our hypothetical client as we explore what's better. If you recall, our client is a young woman named Rachel, who presented in the first session with concerns about her mood and well-being, following a number of health setbacks, some ongoing problems at work, as well as some difficulties in her relationship with her partner. Rachel's best hope was to return to her previous standard of well-being that existed prior to suffering a miscarriage and the other life circumstances that arose shortly after. In the first session, Rachel was able to describe her preferred future in some detail and identified both pre-session change in her relationship as well as some exceptions to the times when the problems she described would get in her way. She also described some small signs that would tell her the change was happening. So about a month has now passed and Rachel has returned for a follow-up session. Now my focus as the solution-focused therapist is to elicit amplify and reinforce the improvements that have occurred since our previous conversation. So I begin the session by asking, what's better? So Rachel, what's been better since we spoke last? Well, I think I definitely feel a a bit lighter. Now you may recall from our discussion of eliciting the client's ideas about preferred future that language and behavioral detail are important elements of solution-focused practice. So Rachel has responded in a way that is quite common. She's described a feeling that reflects an improvement of some kind. So my task is to seek some behavioral detail. And how so? How has feeling lighter shown itself? Oh, I've definitely been more active. So Rachel's next response is getting us a bit closer to some detail. However, more active could mean many things. So it's important for me to pursue more information. Oh, really? And what have you been doing that reflects this? Well, I've been getting to the gym a lot more, that's for sure. So now we have something very specific. And now I want to amplify and reinforce how going to the gym has somehow been helpful to her. And how have you managed to do that? I don't know. I, I guess I just started doing it and pushed myself. Now it seems like it's more part of my routine. And what difference has this made for you? How has it helped? Well, I've definitely lost some weight, and I think that's helped me to feel you know, better about myself. Nice. Now, there's a few things worth noting here. How did you manage to do this could be considered as an indirect compliment and a question that invites the client to talk about her own expertise out loud. And secondly, the questions, what difference did this make or how did this help, are ways of reinforcing Rachel's own unique ideas about how such an action has been useful to her. Once again, it's important to note that as the solution-focused therapist, I'm adopting a not-knowing position. I can certainly make some simple assumptions about how Rachel made up her mind to go to the gym, as well as how this has helped her. But I can't know for sure about any of this unless I ask. Secondly, by asking these questions, I'm once again inviting Rachel to hear the sound of her own voice and expertise. Again, this is just another example of how, through our questions in solution-focused practice, we lead from behind. Now, Rachel's last response included something that, according to one's clinical judgment, you might want to pursue further. She said that losing some weight has helped her to feel better about herself. So my curiosity about this idea of feeling better about myself leads to the next question. And feeling better about yourself, how how has that shown up? Well, I feel better about my appearance. So, you know, I'm paying like more attention to how I dress. 
So with our beginning question about what's better, we've learned that Rachel has been able to establish going to the gym as a recovered routine and that this has led to some weight loss and feeling better about herself. And that, feeling better about herself, has been reflected in taking more care with her dress and appearance. At this point, then, I continue the conversation by going back to the original question. And so what else is better? I think I'm connecting more with my friends. And Alex and I have been getting out more to do things with each other. Wow. And what, what difference has that made, connecting more with your friends and getting out more with Alex? Oh, I think it makes a big difference. I don't feel like I'm inside my head as much. And it just makes things more you know, interesting. And I guess there's more fun as well. I'm not focusing on all the bad things that have happened like I was before. So Rachel mentions that she's been connecting more with her friends and getting out with her partner, Alex. And again, I ask a question to find out how this has made a difference to her. It's also notable here, though, that I could also have spent some time seeking more detail. For example, I might ask more about what she's been doing that reflects connecting more with her friends. Or I might even ask more specifically what Rachel and Alex have been doing when they're getting out more. So once again, when the solution-focused therapist has elicited, amplified, and reinforced something that's better, we go back to the well for more. So, Rachel, what else is better? Well, things are still going much better between Alex and I. And what do you notice that tells you this? Well, we're just way more engaged, you know? Like, I mean, we're not always off in our own space when we're at home. I mean, sometimes we are, but like in a normal way. Now, in this instance, Rachel has once again used a word that requires some deconstruction. She says that Alex and her are more engaged. So, once again, I want to obtain some behavioral detail about this. And when you're not off in your own spaces, what's happening instead? Well, we're talking more, that's for sure. And we're doing more things around the house together. Or sometimes just, you know, hanging out, watching a movie together. So with more detail obtained, I learn more now about how such activity is helping her and the relationship with Alex. And what difference has this made? Oh, it's way more like we used to be. We're closer and there's more intimacy, actually. And, I don't know, we're back on the same page. Wonderful. Now, you might be wondering, at what point do we stop asking what's better? And the answer is, generally speaking, that I'm going to keep asking until Rachel tells me she has nothing else to report. So, what else? What else is better? Um, well, I'm sleeping a bit better. I mean, it's not where I want it to be, but I'm not feeling as drained in the mornings anymore. At this point, I can probably make some guesses about how Rachel has managed to be sleeping better, as well as the difference it's made to her. Of course, she's going to the gym, she's more active with her friends, and in her relationship. But again, I want to hold true to the position of curiosity and not knowing. And how have you managed to do that? I I don't know. I, I guess it just happened. What's your best guess? Hmm, well... I think going to the gym helps. I mean, I'm pretty sure that it helps my body with sleep. And I guess things being better overall clears my mind a bit. So, you know, it's easier to sleep. And I know this sounds kind of obvious, but what difference has it made to be sleeping better? Oh, it's made a pretty big difference. I mean, I'm always in a better mood when I'm rested. 
and I know I have a lot more energy. Now, in this next clip, Rachel identifies that we've reached the end of what's better. However, in identifying an area of her life that remains problematic, she also provides us with another opportunity to amplify and reinforce something that she's doing that's helpful. And so, Rachel, what else is better? Mm, Well, I think that's about it. I mean, things at work are still pretty bad, but I'm not letting it drag me down as much as I used to. Rachel's words, I'm not letting it drag me down as much as I used to, certainly reflects that she's doing something that's useful. So, I ask a further question about this. Oh, really? And how have you managed to do that? I don't know. I guess in some ways I think I've just resigned myself to the idea that there's nothing I can do to change my supervisor's mind. I mean, it still really bothers me that she took away some of my responsibilities. Rachel says that she has resigned herself to the situation at work, and yet it still really bothers her that her boss has not given her back the responsibilities that she carried prior to her health difficulties. So as the solution-focused therapist, I'm still very curious about what she's doing that's helping her to manage this concern. And, most important, I want to invite her to say out loud what it is that seems to be helping. And so, what is it that you say to yourself that helps so it doesn't get in your way quite as much? I don't know. I I guess I just tell myself that it's not worth it to get all twisted about it. I'm just trying to focus on the stuff that I have control over right now. Wow. And was was that a hard thing to do? At first it was. But now that I've been getting stronger and things are better at home, it's been a lot easier. Now, given that Rachel has indicated that there isn't anything else that stands out as better, I can move on to the next stage of the session. This would include one or more scaling questions and some discussion about the next small signs of change. And after concluding the conversation to take a brief thinking break, I would return with some end-of-session feedback. But we'll look at all of those elements of the follow-up session in a future episode. So, in closing our look at exploring what's better in follow-up sessions, it's important to recognize that it can be understandable if clients sometimes struggle to identify what's better since the previous session. However, this doesn't always mean that there isn't anything better to report. Instead, this struggle to respond right away may also reflect the fact that what's better isn't necessarily an easy question. In some cases, it requires some thought and consideration on the client's part in the same way that clients sometimes need some time to describe their preferred futures. And of course, this may be because, as human beings, we're more accustomed to describing or talking about problems. As a result, the solution-focused practitioner often needs to be patient and gently persistent in inviting clients to fully consider the question. In doing so, you'll undoubtedly discover that clients will sometimes identify improvements that would not have been located unless you had asked the very simple question, what's better? In the resource section of the podcast this week, we have two books for your consideration. The first is called Doing Something Different, Solution-Focused Brief Therapy Practices. Published in 2011 and edited by Therana Nelson, this handy text has something for everyone with an interest in solution-focused practice. With chapters contributed by a number of individuals, too numerous to mention here, the book is divided into sections such as Interventions and Practice, Training, and Theory. 
These sections, however, aren't limited to counseling and therapy. There's also chapters devoted to different elements of coaching, conflict resolution, and supervision. The book also has an irreverent side. There's a section entitled Stories, Poems, Songs, and Solution-Focused Quotes, as well as another called Outrageous Moments in Therapy. Finally, within this book, there are several chapters devoted to the contributions and influence of both Insu Kimberg and Steve DeShazer in the development of solution-focused therapy. Now, our second book of note this week is called Working with Children and Teenagers Using Solution-Focused Approaches, Enabling Children to Overcome Challenges and Reach Their Potential. Also published in 2011, this book was written by Judith Milner and Jackie Bateman. It offers some wonderful examples of how to create useful conversations with young people. In particular, it looks at how all of the typical elements of solution-focused practice are adapted to working with young people, particularly in school environments. The book also has a terrific resource section that can be very useful in learning more about the practice of solution-focused therapy. So that's our resource segment for this episode. As always, you can find links to the books mentioned on the podcast page of our website at hbtc.ca. So we've reached the end of this episode, and once again, I'd like to thank you for joining me here on Leading from Behind. As mentioned, in episode 16, we'll take another look at follow-up sessions by examining the conversation that might take place when the client reports setbacks or other concerns, rather than simply improvements. Now, we will be on a vacation break at the Halifax Brief Therapy Centre during the month of August, so this next episode will be available on or about the first day of September. Again, as a reminder, if you have comments or questions about this episode or the podcast in general, you can do so on the podcast page of our website at hbtc.ca or by sending an email to feedback at hbtc.ca. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on the iTunes store. To do so, follow the link on the podcast page of our website or look for us in the training subsection of the education podcasts in the iTunes store. In closing, my thanks to my colleague, Debbie Van Horn, for her assistance with our case example. And as always, our appreciation to Dano at danosongs.com, provider of royalty-free music used under Creative Commons license. So you've been listening to Leading from Behind, a podcast series about the practice of solution-focused therapy, episode number 15. I'm Barry McClatchy from the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I hope you'll join me again.